Personality tests have become popular over the past several decades. Various personality tests that you may have heard of, like the Myers-Briggs personality test, the Enneagram. Maybe you've heard of it. Maybe you've heard of your kids talking about it or your, your grandkids talking about it. It's, it's not perfect like the Bible, but it, it can be helpful in creating self-awareness to help you understand how you're wired to help you understand your strengths and weaknesses. And one of the Myers-Briggs personality tests uh, is the INFJ. And the INFJ is called the advocate. The advocate. When you think of the advocate, you think of someone who supports you and helps you, recommends you. The advocate is about seeing their lives not about themselves but seeing to help other people around them they feel like it's a sense of calling almost on the enneagram side there's a type two called the helper some of you if you took the test you would be the helper you would be the infj and the helper finds a tremendous amount of value in serving other people They're very sacrificial and selfless We were to use human language to describe God the Holy Spirit, who He is and what He is like. Few words, few captions is better than the advocate or the helper. We're continuing our sermon series in the Gospel of John. We're working through it verse by verse. And we're at the part in John's Gospel where Jesus is soon going to die on the cross in our place and for our sins and rise from the dead. But before he does, he gives something called the farewell discourse, where he's giving his last set of teachings to his disciples before he leaves to go back to heaven. And, and he just talked about, and we saw this last week, why some people will hate Christians or hate those who are followers of Jesus. And, and this week he talks about how to endure how are we supposed to endure the persecution from the world? And the message from Jesus is this. We do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. We cannot live the Christian life alone. Personal diligence, intelligence, determination, those are all good things to do and have and possess but the Christian life is one that is supernatural lived in the power of the Holy Spirit and if the believers of Christ in the 21st century are going to thrive and be faithful we need power that is above ourselves we need the power of the Holy Spirit we need to talk more about the Holy Spirit in church and sometimes it seems like we we don't the, the big idea of this passage is that the Holy Spirit continues the work of Jesus through God's people. The Holy Spirit continues the work that Jesus started through the people of God. And we're doing a, a sermon on the Holy Spirit, but we can't look through Genesis, through Revelation, and look at the entirety of the whole Bible and answer every question we might have. What about the baptism of the Spirit? What about the filling of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit? The spiritual gifts? There's going to be unanswered questions. 
We're going through John, right? We're going through verse by verse. But for some preliminary information, what we can say is this. The Holy Spirit is a person. So Christians worship one God and three persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is fully God. He is equal in divinity with God the Father and God the Son, Jesus. Sometimes I think we think, well, God the Father, he's really big. He's, he's, he's definitely God. Jesus, oh, he's, he's totally God. Holy Spirit, like, mm, I, I don't know, but that's actually incorrect. The Holy Spirit is equal in his divinity, just like the Father and Son, but they play different roles. Just like in a marriage where one man, one wife, equal in value, dignity, and worth, but they might play different roles in their marriage. Same with the Trinity. Last little preliminary thing I want to say is that the Holy Spirit is a he, not an it. He, not an it. Sometimes we think of the Holy Spirit as an impersonal force. Oh, he's a he, a person. He's a person, fully God, a he. And he works behind the scenes, as we'll see, to convict people of sin, to convince people that Jesus is God, to work through the Bible, to continue the work of God through God's people. This passage that we see, at least three functions of the Holy Spirit, the the help of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We start in verse 26 where Jesus says, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So Jesus is talking to his 12 disciples. He's giving them instructions. He's letting them know what's about to happen. And he's saying that the helper is going to come. When he says the helper, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. That's one of the main roles of the Holy Spirit is to help the people of God. He says the helper is going to come. When we hear that, we might say, what, what about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament? Was the Holy Spirit around? Was he, did he just show up in the New Testament? When we go back to our understanding that the Holy Spirit is God, fully God, so he has no beginning. Of course he was working in the Old Testament. In the second verse of the Bible, you can't even get to the third verse without seeing mention of the Spirit. We read this, Genesis 1-2. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So all throughout the Old Testament, we see the Holy Spirit working and moving, particularly to empower the people of God, the leaders, to exercise a certain function. But nevertheless, we, might, we must say this. The Holy Spirit does indeed come in a new, fresh, powerful way at Pentecost. That's what Jesus is talking about when he says when the helper comes. He's pointing to Pentecost. You know that Pentecost happens in the book of Acts. And the disciples were in a home. Acts chapter 2, and it says, When the day of Pentecost arrived... They were all together in one place. 
And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That's, that's what Jesus was talking about when he said, I'm going to send the helper. It came. He came in a new, fresh, powerful at Pentecost. And wh- what does the Holy Spirit do? Jesus says he bears witness about me. That's, that's just saying he testifies about Jesus. He shares Jesus. And he doesn't do this alone, but he does this through the people of God. Verse 27, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So the Holy Spirit bears witness, but Jesus is speaking to his disciples and says, you also work together. Holy Spirit works through the people of God to spread the message about Jesus to people who don't know him. So part of the function of the Holy Spirit is to empower the people of God to speak the gospel, to communicate the Christian message in hopes of people who don't know the Lord to turn from their sin, trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We saw this later in that Pentecost passage we read in the book of Acts, just a couple of chapters later. It says, Acts chapter 4, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Part of the function of the Holy Spirit is, is not just to fill the people of God for lovey-dovey feelings, sort of this hyper-sentimental, I'm in the clouds, it's me and Jesus, although that could be good, but to, to empower the people of God to spread the message of the Christian faith to people who don't know Him. In order to do this, you don't need a seminary degree, you don't need to know Greek and Hebrew, you don't need to know everything there is to know about the Bible the people that Jesus picked to be the original 12 disciples were all very original fishermen, and tax collectors, and just ordinary people. It just takes a willing heart, a desire, a love for the people that, to whom you're speaking to. Many of you, if not all of you, can testify to a coworker or parent or youth group leader who had the boldness to just be open. They don't, they don't need to know everything. Nobody, n- none of us knows everything. But just sharing that you're a Christian or asking people what they believe and then being patient and asking follow-up questions and telling people about Jesus, this is especially important for the people of God to do this. E- even in persecution. This passage is in the middle of a, of, of a passage of Jesus talking about the world hating you and persecution and having oppression for your faith. And we're living in a time now where if you, have, if you say marriage is between one man and one woman, it's considered hate speech in some areas. Where social media companies are allowing inappropriate material that is clearly sinful to be all over social media. But as soon as a Christian stands up and says something bold about the Christian faith, it could potentially be taken down. We're living in a time now where 
you might experience a social disapproval for being a believer. Friends from high school or college that you know, you did life with, and now you're, you're, you're potentially participating in sinful things with them, and now you're wanting to change your life and walk with God. They might look at you like you're weird or awkward. You might have to lose a friend. It's part of being a disciple is to be willing to say, I'm following Jesus. I, I want you to know him too. But I need to surround myself and live my life in such a way where I, I'm not going to be silent because I might lose social disapproval from people. Increasingly, we're seeing personal threats on the church and Christian institutions. Nobody needs to needlessly offend anybody, but certainly a fresh dose of the Holy Spirit for boldness is important to spread the Christian message, especially in this 21st century. There's a famous quote from church history that people love. It's called, the guy says this, he says, preach the gospel always, use words when necessary. I can see why people would be inspired by that. It's talking about setting a good example, right? Being a good example is good. But in order to preach the gospel, words are necessary. Here's what Paul says in Romans. He says this, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. A good example is good, but it is not enough. My study Bible on this verse says this, the Holy Spirit is working silently and invisibly through their words. I wrote this down in my study this past week. Although the Holy Spirit works silently, he doesn't work through silence. He works through words. Actions, yes, but actions and words must go together. In order to testify about Jesus, a good example is not good enough. The message of God must be spoken through words. That's how God works. One writer online gives credit to her grandma for her Christian faith. In a beautiful paragraph, she writes this about her grandma. She says, my grandma was the most faithful woman you would ever meet. She loved Jesus and everyone knew it. Even during hard times, her faith never wavered. I don't think I realized just how much she taught me through her words and actions until she was gone. I'm eternally grateful for her faithfulness that has impacted generations, and I pray that I will one day have the same impact. No doubt, this passage is in the context of persecution and hardship and speaking up about Jesus when it's costly. From, for some of us, we have the privilege of not, not having that many threats, not having that much persecution. We wonder, wh where is a natural context to testify, to share the gospel? It's not on the street corner with a horn or holding a sign. That, that, that doesn't help anything. Often, the, the most natural context is in the home with kids and grandkids and passing the gospel down to the next generation. God's desire throughout the scripture is not to just save individuals, but families. And, and playing games is great. You might have to break up fights when you're with kids and grandkids and go out for ice cream and just coloring and all that stuff is so great and fun. But certainly a, 
implementing some, some type of Bible study or a prayer time or sharing Jesus with the kids is, is essential to pass down the gospel to the next generation. So I want to encourage you to continue to enjoy the context of your family, but don't let them figure it out on their own. Children are not meant to figure it out on their own. That They're meant to learn from their parents about Christ, about God. Yes, the church, but their parents as well and their grandparents. So let me encourage you to testify at home. You, you may not experience persecution, praise God. Pass the gospel down in the most natural context, in the, in the context of your home. So the Holy Spirit helps us, as we, as we do that, we might not always see, we might not always see the fruit. He works silently and invisibly, but he works nevertheless. The word of God never returns void. And Jesus is telling his disciples why he's saying all of this. And he, here comes a, a warning of the persecution that we're talking about for being a Christian. Jesus says, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. Or to keep you from stumbling. To remember the words of Jesus when things get hard. In his commentary on John, New Testament scholar D.A. Carson writes, The greatest danger the disciples will confront from the opposition of the world is not death, but apostasy. Apostasy means to permanently leave the faith. I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I love Jesus, I love Jesus, I love Jesus, and then college or post-college, you stop walking with God, you, you never return. That, that's what it means to apostatize. And that, that is a temptation for people when things are hard. And Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm saying these things to you, so when things do get hard, you won't fall away. Because persecution is not a possibility, but an inevitable, inevitable as one commentator said. Here's some of the hard things that Jesus said disciples will face. He says, they will put you out of the synagogues or the churches. Indeed, an hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering a service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I've said these things to you so that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you. Saying you might get kicked out of the synagogue, which is saying like you're excommunicated from the church, the Jewish church. That was a severe punishment. You got, if you had a business and you had a lot of customers, you would lose your customers. You wouldn't be in touch with your family and social friends as much. It was very costly to be a Christian in that day. In many parts of the world, it still is today. And Jesus says that there's, there's coming a time when people will try to kill you in the name of God and every every. Radical Muslim believes that killing is a service to God. Jesus predicted it and it came true. Certainly not the God of the Bible whatsoever. Nevertheless, we must remember that God's grace is available to anyone. Uh, we, we look at the book of Acts, we see the Apostle Paul. He was advocating that Christians would be hurt oppressed, killed for their faith. And yet God, in his mercy, extended his grace to the Apostle Paul, and he became a Christian, and the Holy Spirit empowered him to be one of the most faithful Christians of all time. It is true that oppression and persecution is difficult, 
And we must continue to share boldly, but we also should pray for those who persecute us and pray for those who don't know the Lord, that they would turn from their sin and trust in Jesus and believe in him. Because God still wants to save people who are far from him. Jesus continues this farewell discourse and he's speaking to his disciples. And he says something that's a little bit surprising. And he says that he can sense the sorrow in their heart. And he says that me leaving is actually an advantage to you. Like, what do you mean leaving is an advantage? You're, you're Jesus. You're perfect. You're God. We've been with you for three years, night and day. You're the most influential person in history. How could it be good that you leave? And here Jesus is, is talking about sending the Holy Spirit. Because at this time, he's investing into 12 men and one region and one area. But after Jesus dies and rises from the dead... He sends the Holy Spirit, they fill him in power, the, the disciples, and thousands of people come to Christ. And those thousands of people pass down the gospel to their kids and grandkids and their co-workers and their neighbors. And before you know it, there's over a hundred thousand. Today, there's over a billion. And, and the Holy Spirit is working now through Christians and all over the world. In fact, we're things are hardest and where people are poor is tends that's where the christian meds the christian message spreads the best and the fastest so jesus is saying i'm with you we're here in this palestinian area it's only 12 of us 13 if you include me i'm gonna leave send the holy spirit and the holy spirit's gonna ignite this revolution where many people come to faith in christ all over the world Ordinary people, just like you and I, sharing about Jesus, sharing about the gospel, even when it's costly. And the Holy Spirit works behind the scenes to convict people, to convince them to believe in Jesus. That's part of the work of the Holy Spirit. It says here that the Holy Spirit will convict, verse 8, the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Holy Spirit convicts people who live in sin. Hey, that's not right. There's a God. He loves you. He cares for you. Turn from this way. Trust in Jesus. Many people ignore it. Continue on living apart from God. Many people hear that voice, that conviction, and they believe. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. So if, if you believe in Jesus, if you've trusted in Christ, yes, it's because of a parent's Grandparent, hopefully that way. A, a boring testimony is what I'm praying for our kid. But it, 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 it was through a person, but behind the scenes was the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit who granted you the faith to believe in Christ, who opened your heart, who opened your mind to believe in Jesus. And because sometimes we don't feel something or see fruit right away, we don't... We don't, we don't know what to make of it, but the Holy Spirit works behind the scenes, this, this work of convi conviction and convincing. So not only does the Holy Spirit work to convict and convince, but he, he guides believers in the truth. Verse 13, Jesus says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. That's talking about the New Testament. Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit 
So people ask, how do we get the Bible? It's a great question, but one of the ways that we can trust the Scriptures, talking about the New Testament, Jesus is here, is because the Holy Spirit supernaturally helped the people to write Scripture correctly so that they would say 100% accuracy what God wanted to say. So when Jesus says the Holy Spirit will guide you in truth, he's talking about Scriptures being written. Earlier, he says in John 14, 26, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. He's talking to the disciples, those who would write Scripture, that God sovereignly superintended the process to make sure that the Bible would be written with 100% accuracy. And now when disciples of Jesus pick up the word to read it in church or read it in the morning or read it at night or listen to it on your way to work, it's because of the work of the Holy Spirit who guided the apostles and disciples into all truth. And if we're going to be faithful in the 21st century as things get more hostile, we're going to need to be a people of the word, to know the word, to spread the word, to, to share the word with other people. What, what can we do? How can we respond to the work of the Holy Spirit? One, one of the ways we must do is ask for, for, for more. And here's how Jesus says it in Luke. He says this, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? The moment that someone comes to faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit seals them forever. If you know Christ, if you're in Christ, the Holy Spirit has sealed you, protected you, has guided you, and will be with you forever. But after conversion, it is possible to experience more of the Holy Spirit. We see this in Ephesians 5.18. Paul says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. The footnote in my ESV study Bible says, the command in Greek does not describe a one-time filling, but a regular pattern of life. It could be translated, be continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. How do we do that? Well, I'll tell you how not to do it. Wolf, willfully sinning and disobedience, any Christian who lives in unrepentant sin should not expect to be filled, to be empowered with the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul says don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit is, it implies that there's something you, you should do, you should be doing. What are those things? Well, Paul mentions them in the passage in Ephesians where he says, addressing one another in songs, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That's why singing in church is so important. And many people get so caught up in the songs we sing or the style that ironically they block out the work of the Spirit in their life because they're not actually singing to the Lord because they're more concerned about the style than actually worshiping God. It's ironic. Singing songs, he says, uh, Paul says to Give thanks to God for everything. 
And he says submission, submitting to one another in the body of Christ. Those are the, those are the ways there, specifically in that passage. But generally, we can say a regular empowering of the Holy Spirit. The more we pray and fill our lives with Scripture and obey God, the more we put ourselves in position to experience this continual filling. Wayne Grudem in his systematic theology says, when this happens, you will feel a sense of renewed worship and thanksgiving, a renewed relationship to others, and increased sanctification. Increased sanctification means becoming more like Jesus. It's a renewal process that happens that is essential to experience joy, peace, worship of God. D.L. Moody was a famous pastor from the 20th century in Chicago, and he started out his ministry largely in the flesh, one of his friends said. And he worked really, really hard in ministry until two Methodist women told him, you're doing all this in your own flesh. You need to be filled. You need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And in a dramatic way that doesn't happen to everyone that we don't always understand, the Holy Spirit empowered him and blessed him, and he saw much fruit in his ministry. This aligns with Jesus who lived perfectly without sin. Fully God, yes, but fully man. He lived in the power of the Holy Spirit. If Jesus himself needed to live in the power of the Holy Spirit, how much more disciples of Jesus? We cannot live this Christian life alone. We must draw near to God to obey him, to be faithful to him. As God continues the work that Jesus started through his people empowerment of the Holy Spirit is essential. I want to encourage you to draw near to God in prayer and ask Him to renew your sense of worship to Him, to fill you anew, and ask Him to empower you to obey Him. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that we would obey You. Lord, I pray um, that we would seek You. I pray that we would be changed. Lord, help us to sing songs with a whole heart to the Lord. Help us to be grateful. Help us to submit to one another. Holy Spirit, come upon our meeting today during our congregational meeting and allow it to be pleasing to you. Help us, Lord. Fill us anew. In Jesus' name, amen.